sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. There's some sort of emotion that you're moving in the positive direction from a negative one, because that's very important. People have to understand that oftentimes the rational brain will rationalize what the irrational brain wants. That's human nature. And you can't even escape it in a logical business environment, even though you think you can, and even though people might tell you they are. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was my friend, Sean Shepard. He's the founder at GrowthX, and this is his third time, his third appearance on this show as a guest. And you might be asking, why has he been back three times? Because he always has so much interesting to talk about. And in this episode, he doesn't disappoint. In this episode, I talk with Sean about the challenges of starting a company during a pandemic and the challenges for startups to sell to customers during this pandemic, customers that perhaps are a bit more risk-averse than they normally would be. And it certainly takes more work, but if you learn how to do it, it will teach you how you should always be selling, pandemic or no. We also dive into Sean's vision for a professional sales college. That's right, sales college. Four-year institution, fully accredited, for-profit, post-secondary school for professional sales education. Now, that's a big dream and one I, I support. And as you'll hear, it's perhaps a dream whose time has come. So stick around. This is another very interesting conversation with Sean. Before we get to him, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Sean Shepard, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Andy. Glad to be here. Great to speak with you again. So last time we spoke, you were in your backyard. Now you've, I think you have a much bigger backyard today. I do. I'm sitting uh, with uh, Lake Coeur d'Alene, Idaho behind us. And um uh, just trying to uh, enjoy, make the most of, of the of this age that we're living in right now. Since I'm working remotely, why not work from from anywhere? Yeah, so interesting. You were saying earlier before we start recording this, you actually have dropped off a daughter at college. So college, the <laughs> students are going to go back. They certainly are. My daughter will be a sophomore at Gonzaga University, which is in Spokane, Washington, only a 45 minute drive from where we sit right now. Uh, and they are giving the option of coming to class or not because she's studying medicine with lab environments and everything else. And her learning style, she prefers to be there. So that's what we're doing. Well, interesting. So um, yeah, I noticed my wife teaches a medical school, and and all their lectures, they've well, for at least for last ten years, they've always recorded all of those anyway. So the students have them to go listen to. 
uh, as a study aid. Are they doing that as well now? So I think that'd be kind of cool. I wish I'd had that when I was in school as I could go back and kind of listen to a recording of the lecture. They're going to do that. And also they're going to live stream for the students that aren't in the classroom, which is something we've been doing at the Academy for quite a while uh, anyway, because that's just been the global demand for, uh, you know, for the sales program, the marketing program, UX design mm -hmm. for us. So, so um, it's all the infrastructure has been in, in place, as you know, for a decade or longer for, for the world to make this digital transformation. They just haven't prioritized it until now, because now, frankly, they're forced to. And you know how change is. People either change because they want to or they have to. <laughs> and right now, everybody has They yeah. have to, yeah. Well, so question is, you know, in your mind, so, you know, you look from the perspective, you support a lot of startups. Uh, you know, is it harder now for startups? Uh, for some, it, it is. And for others, um, it, is, it, it is not. Um, you know, across our portfolio, companies that are well positioned and are delivering services that are contactless anyway are exploding. Um, I've got companies that are just, they can't keep up. And then I've got others that are struggling very much for customers and capital. And so I spent a lot of time with both, frankly, uh, working on company building and scaling on the, on the resilient companies as we're calling them and mm -hmm. then on the that aren't as resilient. Um, and that's not, that's not a knock on the company or the people. That's just the nature of the business they've chosen to be in and in, in the markets they serve. Um, spent a lot of time with the latter on on um, on how they can generate revenue now to stay on the field. Well, are you seeing that a lot of them are having to pivot as a result of this? I mean, we've we bring DNA had done some research with this recently with some customers and just people in the sales industry in general and uh, survey we'd done about two thirds of companies saying. Yeah, we're, we're pivoting. We're having to pivot. Yeah, very much so. And I would say broadly, the easiest way to answer that is, is and this is a piece of advice I give to everybody who's struggling, is you need to pivot at, le at least in the near term towards contactless services. Um, and by that, I mean um, my theme to them is, is leverage the relationships that you have to mm -hmm. find problems that you can solve really well right now, regardless of what you've been doing. Right. And get your focus there. Orient yourself around that problem and the personas of the individuals who have that problem. Uh, and then focus on a plan, what I call a market milestone, that says over the next period of time, I need this many customers under this kind of circumstance and, and scope uh, to stay alive, frankly, mm -hmm. to survive this period. Uh, and then run very high touch. When I say high touch, I mean high touches in live, <laughs> right. live campaigns. Virtual touches, yes. Yeah, I don't mean slobbering all over people. Um, but I mean coming up with campaigns that aren't your traditional asynchronous scalable campaigns and do very synchronous live campaigning to uncover um, uncover problems that you can solve for in the, in, in the fashion that I laid out. Yeah, I think for me, as, as I advise people, the priority is I call it speed to values is are the problems that still retain urgency. Maybe they're a smaller part of a bigger initiative. Someone was contemplating prior to the retrenchment we've had, but is, can you get to them to a point quickly where they can show an ROI on that investment? Yes. So I call it speed to value. So they get speed to value, speed to outcome, whatever is, is 
that's that I think are the type of solutions you should be looking for or opportunities you should be looking for today. Yes. And we, and, and as part of that, we talk very much about the concept of, of instant metrics or what I call leading metrics versus lagging metrics, you know, mm-hmm. in value in any circumstance, um, your speed to value concept or formula, um, um, manifest itself in that way. You know, there's the things that immediately show value and what are the metrics that measure that? And, uh, what are the metrics that demonstrate that value instantly focus on those? Um, because if you do that, it's sort of the rest of the long-term stuff starts to take care of itself. You've established trust. Right. Trust being one of them. But I mean, I was just gonna say, what are some of those leading metrics you talk about though? Um, well, I guess it's, it's, it's obviously use case specific, but it's, it's, I, I kind of, I kind of talk about how our customers don't want more work. They want less. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can immediately, one of the words I like to use is you can handle something for someone right now and measure how you're handling it. Um, that is a leading metric. No, I, like that. Uh, uh, it, I, I, I spent some time in, in Eastern Europe this last year. I had the good fortune of, of speaking at an event with, um, um, oh God, I feel terrible. His name's escaping me right now. The gentleman that uh, created the jobs to be done framework. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and he was a, a disciple of Ed W. Edwards Deming and, and, um, at right. Ford company. Um, and, uh, you know, who came up with the Kaizen theories that Japan, yep. you kick our ass for 20, 30 years. <laughs> um, uh, because again, the great, the great Deming story is, is that Ford wasn't interested. So he went to Japan and, right. and, uh, and, and Ford regretted it ever since, even though they probably would never admit it. But he, um, uh, you know, he inspired me to really think much more about the concept of a sale is simply asking to be hired to do a job. Yeah. Uh, what is that job? Uh, think of it like a job description um, and put yourself in the position of what are the roles and responsibilities and how do you measure those things and how do you demonstrate that you can do the job for someone. Well, I was going to say along that same line is I think that, you know, Gartner's integrated that. Were you talking about Clayton Christensen? No, not Which Clayton. Um, but even though he used that, but I mean, it's. Yeah, yeah he used the framework. Right. Absolutely. Is because I just on the show and that's going to be coming out by the time people hear this interview, but this episode will come out with Whitney Johnson, who is, was a, uh, yeah, studied and worked with Clayton Christensen and, and has taken his principles of the S curve innovation disruption and applied it to personal development. And, um, but this whole idea of jobs to be done is, uh, she and I are talking about this is, you know, the customers are one of the jobs is they hire you to help them make a decision. That's exactly right. Um, and, and so if you can focus your, let's say your frame of mind, mm-hmm. as you enter that conversation with someone, it's really about defining the roles and responsibilities of a job and how to measure it. And then demonstrating that you can do that job. There's another person that, um, um, and now I'm forgetting his name too, Theo Epstein. <laughs> yeah. Theo Epstein. Um, I, and I don't know if baseball fans would know Theo yes. Epstein, right. right? He was the general manager that that uh, killed the, the curse Cubs. for the Red right. Sox, and then killed the curse for the Chicago Cubs. I don't know, you know, I don't know if there's a more successful human than that guy over the last decade. If you think about the uh, the situations that he turned around, 
and 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 he's young and he got mm-hmm. to work very quickly and someone once asked him you know you know how did you climb the ladder so fast he said i found someone who was very important um and i found what they hated to do and i offered to do it for them um and that's that's been his model um and i love I, it I, I love it too and i think that you know as a sales professional that's what we should be doing find someone in a position of real power and influence understand who they are and what they do and find out the things they hate to do the most and then figure out a way to do those for them. And I think right now in this environment that we're in, I don't think there's ever been a more important time to use that approach. Yeah. Because first of all, (laughs) work has expanded to fill the time. Everything's just people are working harder, not necessarily being more productive, but working, working more, let's say. Um, yeah, if you can offload something, just give people some, some brain space, if nothing else that has yeah, value. You're right. You, um, you and I were talking about that offline just before we started about, I said to you, I've never been busier. And then, and then, and you quipped, you know, but is it productive busy? Right. Um, and it's a great, it's a great point. There are many of us out there that aren't used to working in this kind of environment. So we haven't learned how to manage ourselves through it in a way to create more productive work. There are, that, there are others that have and already are familiar with this approach, um, have that self-management and discipline who are getting more out of, out of, out of, uh, you know, out of the same amount of time. Um, right. and, and it's, you know, it's an interesting time. If you already are well positioned, like I said, the resilient companies are, uh, for this environment, um, uh, you're, you're going to do well. Cause I don't view COVID as, as a, like I viewed the 08, 09 crisis or, you know, the dot-com crisis or the 87 crash. And you and I are old enough to remember and be a part of all of those moments. Really? Um, <laughs> yes, believe it or not. Yes. I, I am absolutely yes. old enough. Um, but but what I, this one feels a lot more like 9-11 in that, in that it's going to change behavior for the long run. Yes. Um, how we work, the way we work, uh, what we do. Uh, what is the boomerang and the rebound going to look like? Uh, none of us know. Um, but thank goodness, as I said, the technology and the digital infrastructure has been in place for a decade or longer for this to be enabled. And right. in our corporate innovation work that we do at GrowthX, all of my leaders have gone, they're already coming out of triage and they're coming into what's, what does life look like in the age of what the World Economic Forum is calling the Great Reset. Um, and, uh, and now is our time and chance to rethink everything, realign our priorities and maybe do it not just better, but at least uh, let's say morally and ethically right this time. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, that sort of triggers the thought is is because this is something I think about all the time with regard to sales. Is you know, I see a profession. You know, I've been in it. Thankfully, you've told people how long I've been in it. Is is that uh, for a long time, seen a ton of change, and. Despite the change, it still seems like we're just doing it the same old way, right? That we haven't fundamentally changed. And and you brought up Edwards Deming before. Is is you know I love his quote, which is and this was sort of came to mind again because I've been reading Dan Heath's book Upstream, Ooh. and the quote is: "Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets," <laughs> which I just think is is brilliant. But it's true. And so, you know, we've got 
in in so many facets of sales these days, you know, we got these low win rates. We've got uh, you know high rates of no decisions. Uh, everybody wants shorter sales cycles, and we want people to be better at coaching. And yeah, you know, go down this whole list of of complaints or uh, desires among sales leaders and salespeople, and it's like it hasn't changed in decades fundamentally. And so the reason it's changing is because we've got the system that no one's ready to say, let's just really rethink, radically rethink how we're doing this. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think people have the, have the, um, let's just say whether it's the mindfulness, the awareness or the wherewithal in the moment, especially in moments of, of perceived crises that, um, to, to, to be as introspective as necessary to, uh, to, to try and intentionally make those changes. Um, I think people with a, like you, for example, I, you know, I call you a learn it all, right. You're not a know it all. You're a learn it all. I mean, you read, voracious, mm-hmm. you interview people like, uh, you know, like, uh, um, you know, that, that you learn from, and then you try right. to create value for the world. And, and, and because you're constantly reading and, and learning, and leading in that way, um, it's very natural for you uh, to incorporate those changes as you go along. And that's a classic, in my mind, growth mindset mentality. Um, most people are, are not like that. And I think now is a wonderful opportunity for everybody to take a step back and think about whether or not they want to be a know-it-all or a learn-it-all and whether or not they want to focus on developing themselves as a person to adapt to the changing needs of the marketplace. Um, and that's why I talk a lot about what skills are most necessary for every individual, sales or otherwise, to be successful in commerce in the innovation economy. Now going And those are? Reset. Well, the first one is, is mindset. So it's having a growth mindset that says, uh, you know, I don't know what I don't know, and what I don't know is more important than what I do, um, and that I'm here to learn, <laughs> and I put my spirit in front of my ego, um, and, and I focus on trying to develop myself and be open to feedback. I take the word rejection out of my vocabulary entirely. Um, and I replace it with feedback and I say feedback is a gift. I take mm-hmm. the word worry out of my vocabulary and I replace it with thought, um, right. as an action verb thinking, um, critically, uh, about every situation. I incorporate, uh, the notions of, of, um, of, of key insights and takeaways uh, and, and try to take three things from every interaction and experience um, and incorporate those into my life and into my work, um, knowing that I can master anything with the deliberate intent and practice associated with it. Mm-hmm. The, second, the second is um, emotional intelligence, right? EI in the age of AI. We all know the bots are coming. We all know that anything that can be automated will be automated. And if your job is very much rooted in repetitive tasks, uh, and, um, you know, it's at risk um, if it already hasn't been replaced. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not a place for you in this world. What's going to separate you from the robots? It's your ability to collaborate and be creative and think critically and solve, solve problems in a dynamic way with other humans. Um, and to understand who they are and what they're going through, uh, and to really empathize with that creativity and empathy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then after that, the other, the other three are business acumen, market acumen and communications. 
business acumen to me is the most important in terms mm-hmm. of trying to understand how businesses work, how they operate, and how you can contribute to them and, and show value um, is, is the most important thing. Uh, regardless of what product or service you're offering, um, put that in the back of your mind and put in the front of your mind, who am I helping? How am I helping them? What are they after? Right. Um, and, and who are they, you know, who are their customers and their customers, customers, and where do they fit into the, and play into this ecosystem or this value chain? And what can I do to contribute to that? Because at the end of the day, in a business to business selling environment, you know, there's only really four or five reasons why anyone buys to make more money, save more money, create or maintain a competitive advantage. Um, uh, there's some sort of emotion that you're moving in the positive direction from a negative one. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause that's very important. People have to understand that oftentimes the rational brain will rationalize what the irrational brain wants. That's human nature. And you can't even escape it in a logical business environment, even though you think you can, and even though people might tell you they are. <laughs> and then the fifth is, is, is staying out of prison. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, always a good idea. Yeah, liability, right? Risk, yeah. managing risk. And to understand what risk is and how people manage it and how it drives their behavior. Um, and so that's that's business acumen. And then it's, so before you, well, before you go on those, is and this is a big topic for me, is is yeah. <laughs> how do we get people, you know, sale sellers, how do we get sellers to develop? business acumen i mean right now it's sort of done as an experiential thing right you put yourself in enough situations you get something if you're open-minded something's gonna rub off on you you're gonna learn but it seems like we'd be much more deliberate about it because the research is pretty clear that you know sea level people on the buyer side you know gartner did a study a few years ago it was like you know over 80 percent of them said no value in my interactions with salespeople. But the primary reason was is the salespeople have no idea about the company and what they're doing, how their business works, and all the points that you elaborated on. So exactly, yeah. How how do we be more intentional about helping sellers learn this? Because yeah, I remember when I first started, I I had taken accounting classes. My first job was selling accounting systems to small and mid sized businesses. Yeah, I might have known accounting. I had no idea how business operated. Right, right. So so. A um, couple of things. Um, you can't just do this in theory. You have to do it in practice. And you're right, experiential learning, uh, direct experience, in fact, is the number one principle of accelerated learning. Um, nothing replaces direct experience as a way to quickly learn. Um, so once you have a direct experience, if you're following that path, um, right. then, then I employ the Feynman technique of accelerated learning, which is I need to get to a point to where I can teach somebody else what I've learned as quickly and effectively as possible. Mm-hmm. So I have to follow that path by taking in what I think I've learned, trying to present it back to others, and then filling in the gaps until I've covered them all and I have a deep understanding. Um, and then from the deep understanding come the insights, which is the creativity um, right. and the problem solving. Uh, so that's that's a mind that's part of growth mindset thinking is there's these building blocks to mastery first is knowledge what do i need to know then there's competency what do i need to be able to do uh, and then there's uh there's proficiency can i do it well with some measure of efficiency attached to it and then ultimately mastery you know am i considered a subject matter expert because i will tell you this 
In today's marketplace, everybody wants to talk to a subject matter expert. Uh, and if you can put yourself in a position of subject matter expertise, you can get there, which is very much tied to my next thing, market acumen. But what's mm-hmm. a cool tool people can use right now to start gaining business acumen? The Lean Business Model Canvas from Alexander Osterwalder. Um, uh-huh. And he just adapted Steve Blank's principles of, of the four steps of the epiphany of customer development and customer discovery um, to essentially a visual representation that starts with how you think about things. Right. The first thing you do in the eight, there's eight blocks on the business model canvas. The very first one is four dot, dot, dot. So who are you serving? Right. That's the first question you have to answer for this person or this, this company with this kind of problem. Um, that's the first box. Get focused on box one. Who's it for? And then from there, how are you going to serve them um, and measure that? And so mm-hmm. it's to work its way through that. And then it talks about things like what's the unfair advantage? You know, what's your pricing? Uh, what are the, how are you measuring it? Um, uh, you know, what are your distribution channels and revenue streams? And now you think about that from the perspective of your customer first and then your business model as a seller as well. You should canvas your own company and you should canvas every company you intend to reach out to because it will give you a very broad, it doesn't have to be deep at this point, but it's going to give you an executive level mindset. Yes. Because ultimately, if you want to be successful in what we do, you're going to have to develop relationships with executives because in the innovation economy, relationships are the only thing that's defensible. You know, most things are easily copied these days and there's many competitors in every market. And so owning a relationship is what it's all about. And, and you can't own a relationship with an executive uh, until, until you can speak to them in language they understand um, and start to build trust so that you can lead them right. as opposed to follow them. Well, I think that your point too is, is that you start at a certain level. And this is where I think the Canva, they used to have a great iPad app for this. <laughs> I think they stopped discontinued it, unfortunately, for the, the business model canvas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used it in, in business planning. I thought it was, it was fantastic. Um, it is because it's not about business plans, right? It's right. about business models. Exactly. And you start a certain level of knowledge. And then your job is that every time that you're, you're interacting with the buyer is to, deepen your discovery, deepen your understanding, and deepen the value you provide to help them make progress toward making a decision. Exactly. And that's the perfect segue into the next skill, which is market acumen. How quickly can you accelerate your understanding of a given market, whether that's an industry, a sector, or, or, or a domain? Mm-hmm. Right? If you're selling managed services, how well do you really understand the managed services community the industry at large, who the thought leaders are, what they're talking about, how to drive that conversation, not just participate in it, um, and show yourself as a subject matter expert, because that's the goal of market acumen. And that's why I always say that, that um, and it's, uh, it's probably going to sound bold and, and arrogant, but I can run early sales conversations with anybody, with any product in any market better than most who've been doing it for years can. Because I understand that. I understand how to use that framework to get there. Mm-hmm. What's the taxonomy and language of an industry? Just because you both speak English 
doesn't mean you both speak the same language. Right. What words are they using to describe what they're going through, not what you use? Right. Um, how do you position yourself and your your company or your offering as a trusted um, expert in a field? I still believe very much in in selling through leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think more today than ever before because we're such a content-driven society now. Well, I think I think sales is an act of leadership. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And those who do it the best are perceived that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and not transactional in their approach, but very relational. And not necessarily walking into that, that conversation with anything more than a hypothesis of how you might be able to create value, which is only there to compel the other person to give you the two things you need the most. And I tell this to every one of my portfolio companies and every salesperson. Before revenue, you need time and you need truth. Yep. Get the person to give you their time or the, or the organization to give you their time and get them to tell you the truth. And if you can do that, and with a growth mindset, you're seeking an objective truth, not a biased one. Um, you can get to where you want to go faster. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, you know, from a mindset is, is too, as I was having this conversation with someone just before you and I spoke, is, is, is your job as a seller is not, to your point about time and truth, is not to take what they say at face value. Exactly. Not at all. Keep, a- keep asking open-ended questions. Yep. Continue down the path of why as far as it will go and as far as they're willing to allow it, you know, allow you to be a part of their truth and, and let them show that vulnerability because that's where you're going to find the gold. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is you bring up, just generally conversations. One of the things I'm always lovingly reminded of when I speak with you, Andy, is is how we enjoy what I call deep conversation. Yeah, that's true. We, we should have recorded the first half of it when we were talking before we got on. What's this? Our third or fourth time around, and we say that every time. Right, I know. But, but it's because we like, we enjoy having deep conversations about a wide range of issues. Mm-hmm. We talked about things that have nothing to do with sales. We talked about the world. We talked about, um, you know, politics and blah, blah, right. blah, you know, and, and we enjoy it. Right. Um, and, and the art of deep conversation and even the science of it, because I always say art's just science yet to be measured. The yep. deep science of it, um, has been lost in the age of social media. It's changed our brains in a way that we are all about the quick and the quip and the 140 characters or less, uh, and the depersonalization, uh, of our communication because we're sitting behind a screen. And I think right now in the age of COVID, we've never had a better opportunity to rethink that and kind of get back to what I think are, are part of the lost, um, some of the lost um, tenants of, of what it just generally is, you know, to be a helpful human, which yes. to me is what selling is. It's just helping. And yeah, fundamentally, I'm- I was on the phone recently. I did a talk for, um, for VMware for one of their big sales groups uh, for a friend of mine I've known for 25 years. And before the conversation started, I said, so what are you guys going through? And VMware's killing it uh, because mm-hmm. it's a perfect example. VMware's sure. a perfect example of a resilient company. And he said, even though we're killing it, he says, we've just gone back to the fundamentals. And our, our saying right now and our, our mantra is how can we be helpful? It's not calling people to talk to them about how many virtual servers they need. It's calling them and saying, what's going on in your world? How are you dealing with this? Because we're all going through the same shit. Nobody's immune to what's happening right now. 
Well, it's never been easier to establish common ground and shared experience with someone. Exactly. And because of that, now go deep. Use that time to have deep conversations. I've been enjoying more deep conversations in the last four months with people than I've, that I've enjoyed in years in terms of having willing participants on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because once again, we have that time and we have that opportunity and that focus uh, to do those things. Um, and so those deep conversations get you to the truth faster. Um, and your job as you're doing that is to just actively listen and be buoyant and open to many different ways in which you might be able to help someone. And that's why I said at the beginning of this, like, take a service mindset. Um, How can you serve these folks Um, as opposed to just sell them a product? And this, yeah, there's two things there that I think are really interesting. Oh, lots of interesting, but two things that amplify maybe. One is, is, uh, you know, Jeffrey Colvin in his book, Humans Are Underrated, talking about the future in an AI world for people. And you sort of touched on that. Is you know the ones who are going to succeed are the people who learn how to become more intensely human, yeah. and so we don't want to run away from being human. We want to amplify our humanity, and you know I think naturally people want to be helpful, but we've been trained right, and we train people that that's not necessarily the best path because we want them to be more transactional. Very much so. In fact, I talk about it a lot when I do uh, my workshops for my startup accelerator. Uh, in our market acceleration program, when people ask me, does this framework for finding product market fit um, work for me because I'm B2C or does it work for me because I'm selling a service or does it work for me because I'm selling software or does it work for me because I'm selling consumer packaged goods? The answer is yes, because it's not B2B or B2C, it's H to H. It's a learning framework. Um, Every new experience is an opportunity to learn something new. And then right. I like to apply uh, Greg McEwen's essentialism principles mm-hmm. to the to that learning experience. I alluded to it earlier, um, which is what are the top three key takeaways from any any experience, um, and then what are the actions you want to take based on what you've learned, um, and then are those hopefully things that you can share with your prospect or customer in a way that get them thinking similarly. And now you've got them now, in my opinion, you've got them in a place where you're not just defining a use case, but you're defining thoughts and actions around that use case. And if you can get people to help you, allow you to help them sort of, let's say, lead their behavior and their thoughts and actions, then I think you got them. You have an opportunity to, to build a lasting relationship. Exactly. And this, this is, I think, is, is something that's so fundamentally messed up about the way we've been training sellers, if you will, or however you want to say it, is is that we're trying to convince them that, or we're trying to tell them that selling is about persuasion when it's really about influence. You just described, we want to work with someone, we have that relationship, we help them understand the options that exist to solve a problem. And by doing that, by being that trusted advisor, they are likely to say, yeah, this option that's you or one of your two options, that's the one we want to pursue. You know, in the whole jobs to be done theory, and, you know, Gartner laid out, you know, four jobs that buyers do. You know, identify problem, define solution, finalize the requirements or build the requirements, choose a vendor. And in the sales world, we train people that last one. 
yes. how to how to <laughs> compete on choosing the vendor, and they're missing the whole first part of it. Yeah, that's just like Rackham's uh, um, spin framework, and and uh, Dr. Neil Rackham talking about the, the four steps of the buying process: mm-hmm. recognizing a need, uh, evaluating your options, resolving your concerns, and then making a decision. And we're all focused on very much uh, the evaluation of options phase in that framework. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, as Paul Nutt, who is a professor at Ohio State, the Heath brothers talked about in one of their books about. Yeah, how people make decisions, which is we formulate options, and then we choose from among the options that we want to pursue further. And unless you're participating in helping the buyer define what their options are, and you're just focused on competing on your features and your price and delivery, then you're, of course you're going to miss out. Yeah, and Rackham's uh, data shows the same thing. We spend most of our time on evaluation of options when we need to be spending it on needs recognition. And if we spend it on needs recognition, evaluation of options happens and resolution of concerns happen much faster. Well, and, and what Nutt found in his, his research is that in a corporate level is that most companies are at most evaluate two options before making decisions. So, so you think it's like, uh, if okay, if you're doing a good job on the front end, and especially if you position yourself properly, both those options could be you. At a minimum, one of them will be you. And Absolutely. so, you know, if, if you're ever a salesperson, you're going into account and you're saying, "Wow, it looks like uh, looks like my competitor really dictated their requirements document." Of course, they did. They were in there six months before working with them to help them formulate those options. Absolutely. I, I mean, we ex- I experience that on a, on a regular basis with our corporate and, and, and civic innovation clients, they're figuring out ways to bring us in. They're not looking at other providers. Mm-hmm. They, on a regular basis, are, con- are, are reaching out to us and saying, here's some problem sets that we're looking at. You know, uh, can, can you help us with these? As opposed to um, sending out RFPs. Because we've delivered for them, we've built those relationships, and we're driving their thoughts and actions. Yeah, and leading, um, and so you just need to get the opportunity to do those things. And I see so many salespeople and organizations be very um, shallow in that way. Uh, they're focused the- so much on on getting one deal done, then they walk away because they're incented to walk away and go get the next deal. Right. Then they leave it to a customer success organization, bless their hearts, who probably weren't involved in the process to begin with. They weren't the ones doing the selling. Um, and don't own the relationship, and now they're expected to build it from scratch, essentially. Yeah. Uh, you try and create that environment, um, and it's um, it's clunky at best. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I got, I got a question for you, because I hadn't noticed this before. Is As I was you know, trolling through your LinkedIn profile, and at one point, and we've known each other for number of years now, but I've never seen this as you were going to start the professional sales college. Yes. Um, I built the curriculum, ironically enough, that's been used in the academy and variations of it 15 years ago. So this was, you said it was going to be the first fully accredited for-profit post-secondary school for professional sales education. Yes. I wanted to build, uh, I wanted to build a university that was dedicated specifically to professional selling. And and I was going to launch it in September of 2008. (laughs) <laughs> Great timing. <laughs> the timing couldn't be better. So all of the uh, all of the uh, uh, the the student loan 
um, for, for private college, all the student loan programs for private colleges that weren't already accredited dried up. So I had to shelve it. Um, but, uh, but that's still something that I want to be able to do or be a part of. And the Academy is manifesting it in its own special way with a very specific niche, helping people transition into working in sales and technology in the Valley and in other parts of the world. But, but I still believe that needs to be a thing. Absolutely. I mean, professional selling needs to be elevated to its rightful, rightful place in society. And if it was, and it was treated that way and children were taught that stuff at a very young age, that it was okay. This isn't, you know, retails and, and used cars, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, that it's an amazing profession. Uh, and there's yeah. data out there. I can't cite it all the sources off the top of my head. I've got them out there, but professional salespeople make one of the highest average earned incomes over a lifetime. They have one of the highest qualities of life as pulled by, um, uh, other against other industries and, and one of the lower divorce rates. Um, <clears throat> just to name a few anecdotally, it's a wonderful profession. Yeah. And when you talk to the true business leaders who get it, they will tell you that there's no one more valuable in their organization than their best sales professions. And we don't teach it. And it's maddening. <laughs> well, there are a growing number of undergrad sales degrees available. There are, I mean, but there are 6,000 higher education institutions in North America alone, and there may be 100 or two that even offer programming. Right. Um, yeah, if that, and right. doing this with the University Sales Alliance 15 years ago, there were only a dozen. Um, and and uh, and now it's getting better. University of Texas, Dallas is doing some good stuff. Yeah, Howard Dover, right? Yeah. Houston, University of Houston is doing some good things. Kennesaw State's had a good program for a long time. Um, Northern uh, Illinois, Illinois University. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but even those, bless their hearts, are still doing some very kind of old economy teaching. Um, I think University of Arizona's Eller School's got a good program. I've had quite a few interns come up through that. I speak there uh, every every quarter. I'm doing a lot with MBA programs, ironically, you know, um, because uh, teaching market development now. Um, as opposed to just sales or sales right. development or business right. development um, it, or product or marketing um, is is where I think you can be most effective in an MBA program where they where you know where most of them are lacking. Huh. Very cool. All right, Sean. Unfortunately, we run out of time, but um, we'll do it again short, shortly. <laughs> it's it it's you know I, it blew me away when I looked and said it was uh, almost ten months ago the last time we talked. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe that? No. I mean, but that's the great thing about having deep conversations, right? You, uh, it feels like uh, we just talked talk yesterday. We picked up right yeah. where we left. Yeah. Well, I said we won't wait so long the next time. But, uh, yeah, what do you want people to know to, about you to contact with you? You know, is it uh, GrowthX or your, your other work? Sure. I mean, uh, of course, they can Google and, and, and pick up a lot of my content, but gxacademy.com is for is for the sales and business development program uh, at GrowthX Academy, growthx.com to see the work we do um, uh, on, on go-to-markets and, and partner ecosystem stuff um, for, um, uh, for corporations and governments. Um, they can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter, you know, I'm, I'm out there. I'm happy to be helpful to anybody who intentionally wants to be better at, at the work that we uh, love uh, so much. All right. Perfect. Sean, we'll talk to you shortly. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Andy. 
Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Sean Shepard for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review, let us know how we're doing, well, we'd appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.